Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Once again, we do want to welcome you to Christ Church at Grove Farm. My name is Craig Giergo. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so grateful to have a full house here today and, and many people worshiping online as well. We believe God's doing something exciting here. And, and the children and the young adults and these families are, are just a reminder of the good things that God has for us. And we're, we're grateful that you're a part of it. Now, we've been in the midst of a series this summer looking at the book of Philippians. It's been a lot of fun. This is actually the ninth week. You know, I pointed out to us that the heart of the book of Philippians, New Testament letter written to an ancient people by the Apostle Paul, is actually found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And I just want to revisit that for a moment because, again, we, we can't look at this too much. This is one to memorize. I want Brad Labakan to write a song with these words. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Philippians 2 says this, beginning in verse 5. In your relationship with one another, this is the heart. It's the heart of this book. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Be like Jesus, in other words. Who being in very nature God, let that set in. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He became fully man, fully God, fully man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Yeah, we call this series Be Like Jesus. And we have a description here of Jesus. One who made himself nothing, though he's everything. Though he is God, he made himself nothing. He took on the appearance of a man. He became a servant, became obedient, humble, even to the point of death. We're called to follow in this example. Wow, what a powerful scripture. That's what being like Jesus looks like for us. But we also join him in his resurrection. We join in him in, in the power of God displayed through Jesus coming back to life, though he was laid in a tomb. That's what we join with. But the question I have for you is not only do you want to be like Jesus, but we need to start here. Where we need to start is this question. Do you belong to Jesus? It's not just do you want to be like Jesus. First, you must belong to Jesus. Do you belong to him? I mean, do you really? Have you, do you belong to Jesus? Not just that you believe in God, but do you belong to Jesus? Have you given yourself to? Have you surrendered yourself to? This one who is God became man, went to the cross and gave himself up to pay for sins, your sins, my sins. This one who is exalted and glorified, a resurrected Jesus who holds all the power in the universe, every name 
is below his name. His name is the one above all others. Of all the names in human history, there's no greater name than Jesus Christ. Do you belong to him? This might be the point of you being here today. To consider this question. Do you belong to Jesus? Maybe it's something you made a decision about a long time ago. Maybe when you were a kid. Maybe when you were a young adult. But you've slipped away from it. Do you belong to Jesus? In order to be like Jesus, you must belong to Jesus first. And here's the thing. That's not a passive thing on your part. That requires you turning to him. That requires you saying, yes, I want to be in, in the grip of Jesus. I want to be in the embrace of Jesus. What motivates Jesus to be this humbled and exalted Savior, Messiah, is his love for you. It's his love for you. Do you belong to Jesus? That's where it all begins. You know, we're looking at chapter 4 today. We're coming to the end of this nine-week series. Hard to believe. It goes so fast. And as I went into chapter 4, I'm thinking, okay, get ready for the end. The last 13 verses of this book we've been looking at. We're going to kind of slide into the end and, and maybe even coast to the end. There'll probably be something in there about giving each other a hug and a kiss. Sometimes that's in the, in the letters. I don't know how I'm going to preach and I thought, but hey, maybe there'll be something like that in there. There'll be something easy for us to talk about, joyful, celebratory. And then, of course, I started reading the passage once again, and I found that it was incredibly convicting. I mean, what we're going to look at today is just as convicting as anything we've looked at Philippians. If you really want to be honest with yourself, and if you really invite God to speak to you today. I mean, this passage here particularly causes us to wrestle with contentment. And generosity. That's what we're going to talk about. And I had to ask myself the question this week, am I content? I mean, am I truly content? Not just a flippant answer. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm content. No, no. Am I truly content? I had to ask myself this question. To what degree have I been conditioned by our culture to be discontent? We're going to talk about that too. And then I had to really boil it down and ask myself this question. What is it that I really want in life? What is it that I really want? I mean, to be honest, is it, is it possessions? Is it, is it prestige? Is it power? Is it pleasure? What is it that I really want in life? This, this text will make you examine yourself if you're really honest and you come into this moment with a transparent, open heart to, to consider is Jesus really your prize? So let's go there. Open your Bibles. You can read along on the screen. You can take some notes. We encourage you to do all those things. We're in Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to pick up in verse 10. Let's do it again. This is the Apostle Paul who's written this ancient letter to a group of people. Christians. People who believe in Jesus. In a place called Philippi. Let's start there in verse 10. Paul says... I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at the last you renowned your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. You see, the Apostle Paul had been traveling around the ancient world and he was sharing the story of Jesus. He was telling people about the miracle of salvation through Jesus. And as he did that, he had needs. You know, just like all of us. He had needs. He had things that, that, that are just basic requirements for living. And the Philippians, this ancient group of people, well, they ministered to Paul's 
practical needs. That's what he's referring to here. And that's an understanding to help us, you know, navigate this passage. That's what he's talking about, how they minister to his practical needs. If, if you want to see where we can get an understanding from this, if you look at Philippians 2.25, I believe this will be on the screen also, we see Paul refer to this. I love how the Bible, you know, complements itself. It helps us understand what the Scripture says. Scripture helps us understand Scripture. Look at Philippians 2.25. Here, Paul says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So what did they do? They sent people and they sent money. They sent Epaphroditus to them. And so he's saying, hey, look, thank you for the ways that you have ministered to my practical needs. Let's go back to Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12. Check this out. Then Paul says, hey, I'm not concerned. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now listen, as Paul begins this and he says, look, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. What he's saying is to make it clear, he's not dropping little hints that he needs more. This isn't a passive aggressive letter where Paul's saying, hey, thanks for the help. Could you give me some more? That's all this is about. He's making it clear that he's not talking about that. What he's addressing here is what I've mentioned already, contentment. The apostle Paul here is addressing contentment. And I'll tell you this, contentment is hard to come by. This is where I had to wrestle. Do you find that to be true? Contentment in our world today is hard to come by. In fact, our culture, I would suggest to you, is based on creating consumer demand, a consumer appetite, and not finding contentment actually is the point of everything that we're inundated with in terms of messaging. Well, at this time, actually, I think it's, it's probably a good time for us to take a commercial break. So now, a word from our sponsor this morning. Is talking on the phone getting out of hand? Look out! You need Phone Relief, the amazing new hands-free phone sensation that's sweeping the nation. Is that phone in the neck giving you a giant pain in the neck? Then you need Phone Relief. Watch. Simply attach the special double back fastener to any phone. Then attach the Phone Relief headset. It's that easy. Hands-free, pain-free, there's never been anything like it. It fits so securely to your phone, your hands are free to do virtually anything. Yet the padded headset removes this easily. And it's fully adjustable. It works on any phone, even remotes. You can use it anywhere, anytime, indoors or outdoors. It's absolutely phone-nominal. Interrupted again? Your work will never get done. But with phone relief, you'll be amazed at how much more you can get done in a day. Look, office work is a juggling act for poor Mr. Bumble, but you won't miss a beat with your hands-free headset. A must for the entire office. Work will go quicker and easier with phone relief. Look, this hands-free earphone costs almost $200, and you have to stick it in your ear. But Phone Relief works with your favorite phone. You won't believe you ever lived without it. It's the ultimate in hands-free phone design. The amazing breakthrough product you'll use every day. Now only $12.95. But we urge you to call now. Due to the incredible demand, our operators are giving away additional units at tremendous discounts on all of today's orders. Look again at how easy it is to go hands-free with the amazing Phone Relief. An outstanding value at just $12.95. Does it make 
make any sense to talk like this when finally there's an easy way to go hands-free with phone relief. Call toll-free to order by credit card and make this your last phone-of-the-neck call. Credit card users call toll-free 1-800-257-1234. Sorry, no CODs. Call 1-800-257-1234. Listen, people. You need phone relief. That's a real, I mean, that crazy. That's a real commercial. I'm sorry, it was way too long. I forgive me for that. What a waste of time. But listen, the point is this. Contentment's hard to come by, right? Not only that, there's this idea that, that our culture is constantly making us feel like we're missing out on something. There's constantly something you need. How can you be content? There, there's something more for you. That's always what we're hearing. Our whole economy, our entire economy is fueled by dissatisfaction and discontentment. This is what I'm wrestling with, this is what I'm telling you about. I mean, Amazon Prime says that contentment is found in having everything you want, however you want it, and whenever you want it. That's how our culture works. It's as if somehow we are ultimately the source of our own contentment. Well, listen, what we're reading here in the, in the Bible, Philippians 4.11, which says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That's the remedy we need in this culture. Look, it's the remedy for us today. It was the remedy that was needed in the days of the Philippians. That's why Paul's addressing us. This is nothing new to people. It's actually countercultural to be content. Are you feeling this? I mean, look, we struggle with contentment. Everything in our world is predicated on this. Think of the ramifications of this remedy, this idea of being content. Think of the ramifications for your economical state, for our political state, for our cultural state, whatever you want to look at. Paul is saying that circumstances don't dent his contentment. It'll affect it. It's not circumstantial. It dawned on me this week, maybe it dawns on you, that I needed to repent of my lack of contentment. My lack of contentment. Maybe that's a move for you this morning. Where does Paul find this contentment? Well, he finds it in Philippians 4.13. Check it out. Let's go there. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You may have heard it said, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I'm going to submit to you that this is one of the most misused and misapplied scriptures in all the Bible. It really is. Years ago, um, I took at that little church where I was working in West Middlesex. I took a group of middle school guys on a camp one summer here in Western Pennsylvania. It was a great time. And a part of what we did, we had the opportunity to do rock climbing. And there was a rock climbing wall and there was a college age guy who was kind of the guy with the harnesses and the helmets and all those things. And he would coach us up and, and get us strapped in so we could do the rock climbing. Well, the guys all sifted through it. And, and one of the guys, one of the guys I just love, Sam, Sam didn't want to make the trip for that day. Whatever was going on in him, he didn't really feel like doing the rock climbing. Well, the college guy who was in charge of the rock climbing experience got in Sam's face, like this close to his face. And he said, Sam, you can do all things through Christ. You can climb that wall. And Sam was just like, I don't want to climb the wall, right? This is how people often use or misuse this passage, this verse. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to say this really clear, okay? This verse does not mean that a Christ follower, a Christian can do anything and everything. You may have trouble with me saying that. Let me explain why. Don't use this verse as a license for your stupid life choices. I know it sounds harsh, but really, don't use this as a reason, excuse for your foolishness or my foolishness. This is not a blessing, young adults, for every romantic relationship you want to pursue. That's all this is. Hey, this is not a license or a blessing for you to pursue every professional opportunity. That's not what this verse is. It doesn't mean name it, claim it. You know what I mean? It's not name it, claim it. Not at all. This does not mean that Jesus writes a blank check for you for every problem of health and or wealth that you may experience in life. No, the context of Philippians 4.13 helps us understand Philippians 4.13. So let's look at the context. I mean, if you go back, for instance, to Philippians 4.4, just a few verses ahead, here's what we find the writer saying. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Be glad, be joyful, no matter what. He's setting it up. He says, whether we're in want or plenty, whether we're full or we're hungry, everywhere, in all things, in every single circumstance, be content because Jesus strengthens you to do so. We can do all things. We can face any kind of circumstance. We can face any challenge. Listen, you can face whatever it is you are facing right now. Health problems, mourning, grieving. We have so many deaths that have taken place in the past week in the church. Questions about money. Worries about your relationship status. Whatever it might be. You can face all circumstances. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. I'll tell you this. Discontentment, a lack of contentment, is ultimately you and me saying that Jesus isn't enough. Think about it. That's what the implications of this are. That means that I need more than him somehow. That means that I need that new job or that new car or that girlfriend or a certain person's praise. Listen, we're not an adequate source for our own contentment. But Jesus is. Jesus is absolutely a source of our contentment. Contentment is not rooted in stuff nor in circumstances. Contentment is rooted in Christ alone. That's the point here. Man, I had to wrestle with this. I'm wrestling with it. There's a correlation between hope in the Lord, trust in Christ, obedience and dependence on the Savior, and the contentment of our souls. There's a quote I came across by Augustine. At least it's accredited to Augustine. I want to read it to you. The quote is this. Thou hast made us for thyself, and restless is our heart until it comes to rest in thee. Contentment is found in Christ. 
Man, I hope that that remedy speaks to you today. Let's keep going because this idea of contentment is absolutely connected to generosity, which is what the apostle takes on next. Let's go back to the text. Picking up in 4.14, he says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. He says, yet it was good for you to share my troubles. And what he's doing right here is practically giving thanks to the Philippians for helping to meet him in his need. On a deeper level, he's suggesting that it's good that they got uncomfortable as he was uncomfortable. We're going to talk about this. Let's keep on going. The text 15 and 16. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel... When I set out from Macedonia, not one church, this is unbelievable, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Wow, what a scathing review of the church community. Not one church would help the Apostle Paul other than the Philippians. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. You see, the Philippians, this is important, let's learn from their example. The Philippians had a track record of meeting Paul's practical needs. When the gospel began to reach Macedonia, the Philippians were there to support. When he was in Thessalonica, the Philippians were there to support. It says again and again, more than once it happened. Now he's in Rome, remember, Paul's in prison, and they're still at it. They're still giving to him. They send people, they send money. Hey, why do we support Urban Impact Foundation on the north side of Pittsburgh? Why do we send people? Why do we send money? This is what the people of God are called to do. We need to do more of it. We're not doing enough. Why do we send people and money to Uganda? Why do we do that? Because this is what we're called to do. You get the picture? We do the same with choices. We want to do this in Guatemala and Cambodia. We do it because we're called to partner with God's people around the world. Going back to the text, this is getting into generosity. 17 and 18. Not that I desire your gifts. Once again, he's saying, look, this isn't some passive aggressive plea for you to send me more. No. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. He's speaking figuratively here and also literally. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Listen, it's not about Paul. This isn't about him. It's about the Philippians. It's about us. Paul wants their generosity to abound, not for his pocket, but because it pleases God. Generosity is something that pleases God, and that's why he desires that they would be generous. I'll tell you two things. Number one, this. When Christians are generous, we learn this from this passage, when Christians are generous, God is exalted. When you open up your checkbook, when you make that donation, when you help the person in need, God is exalted. It's about God. He's the generous one after all. It's about him. Number two, not only when Christians are generous, God is exalted, Christian generosity, we see this in the text, is a sacrificial act. Did you catch that? They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. 
I want to say this clearly, because this is in my notes, and, and again, this is one of those things this week that was working on me. If you don't have to sacrifice to give, then you are not giving in a way that is acceptable or pleasing to God. Giving requires sacrifice. It's a sacrificial gift. It costs us something. Giving to God costs us something to do it. I'll give you a little story. So back in the day, I was a paper boy. Anyone out there a paper boy back in the day? I was a paper boy, maybe a paper girl. Um, I delivered the Pittsburgh Press. And I started doing this when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And the deal is they give you the little sack, you carry the papers in, you get the addresses of all the customers in your neighborhood, and you deliver the papers. And then they give you these, these cards with little stubs on them. And you have to go to the neighbors, knock on the door, and you collect the money for the papers they've received, and you give it back to the Pittsburgh Press. What a great business model, huh? Let's trust teenagers with our business and collecting all these money. I mean, crazy that we did it this way. Well, I started doing this, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, this is the greatest thing in the world. I knock on the door, they give me money. And I, could, I have this money like in my room. So I took that money early on, and I bought pizza. I bought something for my girlfriend. I bought extra snacks for all my friends at school. I mean, I was just like living it up. I had all this money in my room and it was like burning a hole in my pocket. Went to Kennywood. I mean, just like took care of it. Well, the paper boss, that's what he was called. The paper boss showed up at my house and he was there to collect the money that belonged to the Pittsburgh Press that I had already spent. <laughs> His name was Frank Novotny. I'll never forget it. I was so embarrassed. He was so gracious to me. You know, the point of that story is this. I think that many of us tend to treat our money, we call it our money, the way that I treated the money that I got on that paper route. We keep all the treasure for ourselves when it really belongs to the boss, if you know what I mean. The money belongs to the boss. And so to spend our money or the money we have and all the pleasures that we desire to have and things we want to spend our money and then decide to give the Lord from what's left, to give the leftovers, that's not the proper understanding of generosity. It belongs to God and we give to him first. I'll take you to verse 19 because this is one to underline and highlight. Verse 19, chapter 4, Paul says, And my God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Again, one to, to underscore. The theological foundations that enable Christian generosity, what we're talking about here this morning, are these. We are content in Christ, and we believe that he will meet all of our needs. That's, that's the theological basis and understanding of what we're talking about in terms of generosity. It comes from a deep understanding that we have everything we need in Jesus. And besides that, God will provide everything we need aside from Christ. Get a hold of these two truths. Number one, I could do all things. I could face all challenges through Christ who strengthens me. And number two, God will supply all of your needs through Christ Jesus. 
So here we are. We're at the end of this series. What's the impact of all this? Why does it matter if we're to be like Jesus? Why does, why does it even matter being like Jesus? Why does belonging to Jesus even matter? Well, I think that's addressed in the very last verses of the book of Philippians. Go there now with me. Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings. Remember, here means prison. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. Why does it matter? What's the impact? Listen, contentment and generosity are absolutely connected to the outcome. To the outcome. Let me show you the outcome. The outcome is this. Paul references the early days of the gospel in Philippians 4.15. That's referring to the beginning of the gospel. When the message of Jesus started to be spread around the world. When Paul was going into all the Roman territories and telling them the story of Jesus, the miracle of salvation, as he was doing that, that's what's referring to the beginning of when the gospel, when the church was starting to take root. Churches were planted. They were planted in Philippi, obviously. They were planted in Macedonia. They were planted in Thessalonica. All those places are mentioned. The church even went into, even went into Rome. Those of you who are historians understand the significance of this at that time. The church took root in Rome. And, and it penetrated into the household of Caesar himself. That's moving. And how did this happen? Why did it happen? The church of Jesus spreading and advancing through the ancient world. Why did it happen? Because there were a group of Christians who grasped the radical implications of the gospel. They said, I want to be like Jesus. I want to belong to him. And they understood that the gospel generates profound contentment and radical and sacrificial generosity. That was incredibly compelling to the people of that day. That contentment, that generosity, that contentment even when suffering because they have Christ and he's all they need. We have become acquainted with a neighborhood in Crafton Heights. This took place through the foods of truck that we were a part of. Some of you remember, if you've been around here at Christ Church, that we had the opportunity to distribute thousands of pounds of food over the course of a few months. It was a great opportunity for us to join God and what he's already doing in our surrounding communities. We got to meet a lot of cool people. People came to our property and received food. We took property out. One of the places we took property to was this little community of refugees in Crafton Heights. And so we've met people there. And there have been some who've been baptized They've got connected to our church through that opportunity. And we also have been introduced to a young mom. This young mom has three children under the age of seven. She's pregnant, or was pregnant, with a fourth. She, when we met her, had little to no furniture in her little house. This little house in the midst of, you know, July and August 
went in there and it was like on the hottest day, it felt like it was 100 degrees in there. She didn't even have diapers for our littlest baby. Well, I'm thankful that God's introduced us to her and given us the invitation to help. So, because because of people in the church family who also grasp the radical implications of the gospel and desire to be like Jesus because they belong to Jesus, we've been able to, by God's grace, help furnish this young woman's apartment. We've been able to provide those diapers. And then this week, when she went into labor a few weeks early, our church family was able to be with her. Though she had no one to go to the hospital with, though she had no one to take care of her children, we were able to go and be with her. Even one of our people cut the cord, the umbilical cord, and stand with her as she delivered that baby. Listen, what's at stake is the kingdom of God touching people's lives, people knowing the love of Jesus through our contentment. Our eyes on Jesus as the prize. Our desire, therefore, to be generous people. That's what is at stake. That's what's at stake here. That's what this all means. May we be a people of radical generosity. You know, typically we would end this with, by prayer, and we would all get on our knees and pray, but we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're actually going to sing a song in response to who God is. In response to to the fact that we desire to be like Jesus. Responding to the the fact that we get to belong to God through Jesus Christ. And so the the team's going to come up and we're going to sing a song as a response. And and we desire for this to be joyful thanksgiving. Whether you know this song off by heart or if it's brand new to you. For you as a way of saying, you know, God, thank you. I want Jesus to be my prize. I want to find my contentment in Jesus. I desire to be generous, God, as you've been generous to us. To sing to Jesus, who is God. Jesus, who made himself nothing. Jesus, who became obedient even to death on the cross. Listen, he is exalted. We're going to celebrate Jesus today. And so with our voices, with our hearts, we're going to sing to Jesus. The children are coming in. We're going to rise to our feet. Everyone stand. The way we can be like Jesus. Through his grace. Join us in singing this song together.